Amen. It's good to be in Dominion Church this morning. I do consider you family. Um, um, me and my wife, Ramel, my better half, almost all of you know, we, we are just honored to be here today and to be with you. And I want to tell you something before I get started. Here's a sermon before the sermon. You know, if you are feasting on this right here every week, what, what we just experienced, and, and, and you're getting up after that and you're just going home, and, and you have no place of service in this house, I don't understand that. I, I'm just I'm just saying I'm not trying to ridicule you at all I, I, I'm not trying to but I am going to gut punch you because I'm leaving I'm you know what I'm saying so I just got to tell you that that's not what God's best is for you I've heard this so many times that's not my calling I want to tell you a story that happened because boy I'm going to tell you this was awesome right here there was a time when I was sitting in a church and I was in the foyer, you know, and I've always had a soft heart for people, especially people that was working in the church. And, and I was in the foyer of this church and, and, and I heard this lady who was over the children's church and she said to her husband, hey, I need you today. And he said, I've been in there for the last three weeks. He said, I'm sorry, I don't have any help. And I'm like, man, that's sad. So I volunteered and started working in children's church. God help us. You know what I'm telling you? I have my calling. I'm not a teacher. I'm not, I'm not for kids. But I went. And I'd been there for almost a year. And after about a year, we were turning in. And, and, and my wife says, you, you got children's church next Sunday yet? And I said, yeah, that's my last Sunday, baby. I said, yeah. I said, yeah, I'm resigning. I'm resigning. I've done my year, done my time. I'm maxing out. You know? And that Sunday pastor of that church preached on a servant's heart. It gets worse. And then he asked me to stand up. And he said, you see this man? I know this man's calling is not children's church. But he's in there once a month. And the whole time my wife was beating me on the leg, beating me on the leg. And she's sitting there, she's just grinning because she knew that I just said I was resigning. Oh, man, I felt so bad. And I sit down and she said, well, how long did you sign up for, buddy? I said, shut up, you know. <laughs> Needless to say, I didn't quit. I didn't quit, I stayed because I, I needed to hear that word, I'm telling you. And you know, you'll, you'll hear people say, well, that ain't my calling. And, and when it comes to music, by God, that might not be your calling. You know what I mean? I, I'm going to agree with you on that. But we're all called to serve. We're called to be servants. And I promise you that whenever you display a servant's heart in your church body, God will reward you for that in ways that you cannot imagine. I don't care what it is. I'm telling you. I tell my people all the time, you get out your car and there's a piece of paper between you and the door. My God, you need to pick it up. You need to pick it up. And, and, and I'm not too big to do it. I'm going to do it. If I see it, I'm going to go get it. 
I don't, even if it's here, I'm going to go get it. The one thing that we was taught, man, I can't walk past a buggy in a grocery store. I didn't put it there, but I can't leave it. If it's in a, if it's in a parking spot, I got to put it where it goes before I can go in. That's just what I got to do because that's what we're called to do. I got, I got to put it in there. I don't care if the guy behind me is bigger than me, stronger than me, look better than me. I'm going to hold the door open for him. That's just how it is. He ain't got to be a woman. I'm going to say, how you doing, buddy? Because that's what God called us to be. Amen. Let's serve the Lord with our whole heart and our whole mind and our, our whole soul. And I'm telling you, God will reward you for it. There's no doubt. Amen. I want to give honor to Apostle Kyle. And Pastor Jamie and to the staff of Dominion, you guys are great. And, um, and, and I, I love the way that you operate with one another. Um, I, um, I want to just honor Pastor uh, Apostle Kyle. I'm telling you straight, I don't know many men that's big enough to rest. Most people are scared to do that. Most people believe if they walk away from you for a minute, they might lose hold on something. You have to be secure in Christ Jesus to know when you need to rest. I'm telling you. And you're going to come back. He's going to come back in here with something that I'm, I'm just hoping I'll get to sit and listen to myself. Amen. Hallelujah. Well, I'm going to get started in what God gave me for you today. I believe that I'm bringing a word that's timely for this moment to Dominion Church. It's going to start off hard, but it's going to get gooder and gooder. Okay? You know, some things don't feel good to begin with. And I was struggling on where I wanted to start this word today. I changed it four times. I told the, the, the team back there, just be ready for whatever I say because I don't know what's about to happen. I don't know how it's going to start and how it might end, but I want to talk to you today about the birthing place of a miracle, the birthing place of a miracle. And I want to begin in 1 Corinthians in a weird place, 1 Corinthians chapter 11. Strange place to begin for something like this because it says there, I'm going to read to you out of the Holman's translation. For to begin with, I hear that when you come together as a church, there's divisions among you, and I partly I believe it. There must be indeed uh, be factions among you so that those who are approved may be recognized among you. What a strange place to start in talking about miracles. But I want to point out a couple of things to you about these two scriptures. There's two words in there that are never good. There's one word that... that is, is heresies or, or, or factions or sects or whatever you want to call it in different translations. But it's a word that has a meaning that's terrible. It's a word that, that means this, and I wrote this down because I wanted you to, to understand what this word means when, it, when it's translated heresies or divisions. Or, and, and it says an opinion, especially a self-will opinion, which is substituted for a pursuit of truth. That's what that means. Now the word division above it means to rend or to tear. So when you put those two things together, it says this is what Paul said to this church. When you come together, there's some of you that's got an opinion that's going to rip something apart that should not be ripped apart. This is what he's saying. 
That don't sound good at all. But then he says, my brothers, these things must be. Now that must be there is not like me telling you that must be right. That's not what he's saying. It, this, is, this must be is a little word called D-E-I, D-I. And it's the same word that you would find in, in the Greek whenever the Bible says you must be born again. In other words, this has got to happen, y'all. It's got to happen. Now, that's jacked up. It's tore up from the floor up. And I, and I remember the scripture that says that we're going to have troubles. I don't like that scripture. I wish it wasn't in there. I'm just going to be honest with you. I, I wish it wasn't there. I, I was, it was, there were several of them that I wish hadn't have been there. But it was. But in the Bible, we're told that these things have to be, and we're, we're coming to a place, and I'm on the way over here today, and I, and I was thinking about, I passed by this, this somebody who's planting, you know, they had a garden, and I happened to look over there, and I saw it, and I said, man, that looks terrible. You know what looks to me like, I'm just, I'm just being honest. Now, I'm not, I'm not a gardener, that's my wife. I, I just spray stuff with Roundup. That's my job. That's my calling. But... But, but she's a gardener, but we planted in the same place so long in our backyard. I'm telling you, the dirt is just so rich. It's so, it's so beautiful, and, and, it, and it's just so full of nutrients, not because of what's growing, but because of what died there. And as I was looking at that soil, when we were passing by and I saw this garden, and I said, that it, it just looked sandy. It just didn't look conducive for things to grow in it too much, and and and. And, and, and when I'm looking at that, the Spirit of God just told me just on the way down here this morning, there's just hadn't enough stuff died there yet. But when a lot of stuff dies there, it's going to get rich. It's going to become a soil that when good seed falls in it, it's going to grow up to be something special because things have died there. And I want to tell you that this is what Paul is talking about when he tells this church, there has to be a place in you where things die. There has to be a place in the church where things die. And I'm telling you that the things that dies is not the things that God produces, but it's things that the enemy produces. God is always transforming us from, one, from, from, from an image of a man into the image of the Son of God. So in this birthplace of a miracle, I want to take you on a journey um, in the Song of Solomon, a, a really a strange place to go for this as well. How many of you ever read that? Be honest. You ever read that Song of Solomon? Yeah, see, not many of you. Y'all do read the Bible though, right? I'm just saying. You know, that's, that's something that's important. But there's two books that's probably least read. I don't know, Lamentations is probably would be in there um, with that as well. There's some books that just don't get the credit that they deserve, I'm sure. Um, um, people tend to stay out of Revelation. They do. And people stay out of Song of Solomon. When the first time I read Song of Solomon, I'm like, what? You know, I wasn't going to say anything bad about it because it's in the Bible. That's the Bible. But I said it was above my understanding. I, I haven't reached a revelation to understand it yet. And then this man, this Jewish man, wrote a translation of the Song of Solomon called the Passion Translation. Anybody ever read the Passion Translation? The Passion Translation lays this out in a way that you can understand it because what the Song of Solomon is and what Solomon was doing right here starts out in verse 1, the greatest song ever. That's what it says, the greatest song ever. But the most amazing song of all by King Solomon. But what he's doing is King Solomon is going to tell you who said what, 
And you have some characters here. You have townspeople that are, that are in it. And it'll tell you, this is the townspeople talking. This is the Shulamite bride. And this is the bridegroom king. And it's a story of how that the bridegroom king, Jesus Christ, has coming to pursue the Shulamite bride, his church. This is what this story is about. It's not some romance between Solomon and a woman. But it is, it is a story about how God pursues his church. And I want to read to you some things there because what is happening here, this is important for everyone to know and what's happening in this church. Let's look at verse 2 in chapter 1. The Shulamite. This, this beginning of the journey in, in Christ, whenever she is just hungry for him and loving him and, and, and longing for him, it says, let him smother me with kisses, his spirit kiss divine. So kind are your caresses, I drink them like the sweetest wine. Oh man, don't that sound good? Verse three, your presence releases a fragrance so pleasing over and over, pour it out. Your lovely name is a flowing oil. No wonder the brides to be adore you. Draw me into your heart. I will run away together into the king's cloud-filled chamber. This is that place. Do you remember that place? I hope you're still in that place. But you know when you first got saved, you know that zeal that you had for the face of Jesus, the desire you had for the face of Jesus and nothing else. You wasn't thinking about how much you could grow a church. You wasn't thinking about where you could go. But the thought of Jesus Christ was more than you could bear. And the love you had for him filled you to such a degree that, oh man, it was just incredible. And I don't care who you were, guys, you too, you were thinking oh if you would just caress me if I could just be in your presence God you might not have wanted to go out and tell people that but that is what we were thinking in our heart you know what the Bible calls that thing first love oh hallelujah he calls that the first love that's why he said don't lose your first love that desire to be with him you know whenever you have that zeal and that desire there's a lot of times people will hurt your feelings you ever had somebody tell you something like this? Well, it don't take all that. You ever had somebody tell you that? Man, don't follow that up. You hear what I'm telling you? Don't even follow that up. Don't even think about it. Go ahead and let it take all that. It'll be all right. Let it take all that. Give him all the attention that you can give him. Amen? Because that, my friend, is the birthplace. That is the birthplace. And, he's, and, he, and, and we have a picture here of a person, of, a, of the bride of Christ that is first getting started in this relationship. And man, they're seeing the, the, the attributes of Jesus and, and the preciousness of his touch. And then the Shulamite says in verse 5, he's celebrating every kiss. No wonder everybody adores you. But then in verse 5, the bride says, Jerusalem maidens, in this twilight darkness, I know I'm so unworthy. I'm so in need. And the king says, but you are so lovely. You are so lovely. And then the next verse, I feel as dark and dry as the tent deserts and the wandering nomads. This is 
how we so many times come to feel and come to, to think about our, our relationship in, with the Lord. We feel so dry. We feel so dark. We feel like we are not worthy. We feel so unworthy of, of, of what the Lord is giving us. I know I'm so unworthy. I feel so dark. She tells her friends, please don't stare at me in scorn. Please don't. And in verse 6, I want to read this to you, and then we're going to move on from, from chapter 1 for a minute. Please don't stare in scorn because of my dark and sinful ways. My angry brothers quarreled with me and appointed me guardian of their ministry vineyards. Yet I have not tended my own vineyard within. Mm. There are times whenever you are saved and you're on a pursuit of the king, whenever you're in love with Jesus Christ, that your zeal gets in the way of other people. Do you hear what I'm telling you? And your zeal will cause people to put things on you that are not yours to carry. And what happened to this bride right here is, is the bride comes into a place where you can give me everything. You know that person that walks in the door and they're so in love with Jesus that they'll do anything. They'll let you do anything, my friend. Do you hear what I'm telling you? And if you're not careful, you'll be the one that's in the children's church and you never get to come to church because nobody else will volunteer because you love him and you're going to do it. And your angry brothers will put their ministry cares off on you to the point that you begin to neglect the garden that is in your own heart. And this is the place that she found herself and she said, I know I'm dark, I know I'm sinful, I know that I'm not right. And, even, and God even then is saying, you are so lovely, you are so precious to me. But she come into a place of church hurt. She come into a place where there was divisions, that there was strifes, and there was things in there that had to be. God was taking her on a journey. He's taking her on a process. If you've never read this whole thing, I encourage you to go home and do so. I can't do it today. I can't do it. We just don't have time. I wish we did. But if we had about four hours, I would, I would do that. But I've only got three, they told me. So I'm... Uh, you know, I'm not going to try to read it all. But I want to go over to chapter 4. We're on, a, we're on a mission. That the bride, we're on a mission with the bride. And I'm going somewhere this that I want to show you. It's very, very important. You see that there was anger in her heart. There's bitterness in her heart over how she had been done. She had... She had received so many things from the Lord, but now she's got brothers. And if you look in the commentary, it tells you that this is other church people that put things off on her. They were holding her down because of the passion that she had in her. Let me tell you something, experienced church leader that's been filled with the Holy Spirit for 35 years. There's a lot of times the zeal of a new person will make you upset. And I'm going to tell you why it makes you upset because you see error in them. You know they're not doing exactly like they're supposed to. But guess what? God don't care. He's more interested in their zeal than anything else. He'll work that out. You ain't got to worry about working it out in them. He will work it out in them because they have a zeal for him. And because they have a zeal for him, I promise you he'll show them all the error they have. Man, don't hold them down if you see the zeal that is in their heart. Listen to where he's taken her. Now, time has went by. We've skipped a lot of things, but this is what's happening in the, in the bridegroom's heart in verse 12. It says, my, dar my darling bride, 
my private paradise. Remember, this is the bridegroom king, Jesus, speaking to the church. Fasten to my heart. A secret spring that no one else can have are you. Man. My bubbling fountain hid from public view. What a perfect partner you are now to me. Now that I have you. Your inward life is now sprouting forth fruit. What a beautiful paradise unfolds within you. When I'm near you, I smell the aroma of the finest spice. For many clusters of my exquisite fruit now come from your inner, from your inner garden. I want you to understand what he just said there. Many clusters of my fruit come in your garden. My fruit comes in your garden. In other words, he's saying, I planted these things in you. It's your heart, it's your garden, but it's my fruit that is growing inside of it. And then he says, here are the nine. I'm telling you, the first time I read that, here are the nine, I had to stop right then and go over to Galatians and read the nine fruits of the Spirit. Because I said, wow, isn't that something? There was nine of these fruits that he said he planted in her heart, and there's nine fruits of the Spirit. And so he sees these nine fruits of the Spirit and he calls them all pomegranates of passion, henna from heaven, spikenard so sweet, saffron shining, fragrant calamus from the cross, sacred cinnamon, branches of scented wood, myrrh like the tears of a tree and aloes as eagles ascending. You are a fountain garden, a wellspring. A, 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 a well of living water springs up from within you, like a mountain brook flowing from your heart. I was going to explain every one of these things to you, but God led me in another direction, but I still want to real quick tell you what they mean. You can look this up in a commentary for yourself. A pomegranate is a symbol of exaltation. It's, it's to be exalted. Henna means the price of a ransomed life. Spikenard is symbolic of light. She's walking in the light. Saffron is a lover's perfume. It's costly, and, and it grows in the desert places only. Calamus was taken from a plant called flagstaff, which, or flag, sweet flag, which was pronounced purchased in the Hebrew language. Cinnamon presents a fragrance that is the scent of holiness and was used in the holy, making the holy oil in the, in the sanctuary. The branches of scented wood are frankincense trees and they represent the purity of devotion to Christ because it had to be cut before it could be released. And then the myrrh or the trees, the tears from the trees. Myrrh is, is, is a symbol of suffering. The Bible tells us in, in Philippians chapter 3 and verse 10, my goal is to know him in the power of his resurrection and in the fellowship of his suffering, being conformed into his death. And then aloe as eagles was the aloe of healing. It's the healing balm that is within us. I'm telling you, when the fruit of the Spirit is working in you and you are able to maintain that first love, not only is there healing for your soul, but there's healing for the people that are around you. You carry something in you that is healing. You hear what I'm telling you? It is healing. Glory to God. Mm. It is healing. So we have these things that are growing in our heart. But why and what's the purpose? 
I want to tell you that if there's a place that the church is in error, it's, the, it's right here, what I'm about to tell you right now. There is something that we don't understand, and if we understood it, it would change everything within us because the world is leading us down a road that God don't want us to go down. The world is leading you in a place that makes you, and, 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 the, and the world will tell you that you deserve something. But the Bible tells me that I deserve death and got life. The, the Bible tells me that I deserved punishment, but God spared me by the blood of Jesus Christ. There's words like deserve. There's words like, like that the, the, the world will tell you that if, every, if anything is wrong at all, then something's wrong with you. I'm telling you, I love it. Watch TV commercials. I seldom ever watch TV at all because of things like this. It's not really the shows. It's the advertisements that really make me ill. Because they says, who say you can't buy happiness? And then they want to tell you about an internet company. I'm telling you, there's people out there right now signing up for that because they're sad. And they're trying to buy happiness. You know, when every time that you see somebody post a picture on Facebook of them in their new car and say, look how God blessed me, there should be a little caption right in the bottom of what your car payment is, baby. All right? Because what you're doing is you are painting a picture that you had no trial or no struggle to get where you are. But I'm telling you that people need to understand that there is process to go through to get to a place. All the kids that are growing up now, they want what mom and daddy's got without the struggle. But mom and daddy needs to tell them how long it took to buy that house. They need to tell them what it was like to struggle and to get to where you are. I'm telling you the struggle is where the place of the miracle is. But why are God, is God giving us these things? Why has God given us these fruits in our heart? Why is there a process in which he's trying to plant his fruit inside of me? What is it for? We believe in today's time that we have this fruit so that my life can be fulfilled, so that I will be happy, so that I will have peace, so that I can sit back and relax until he comes. But that's the furthest thing from the truth. I want to read one verse of scripture in the Psalms of Solomon in chapter 5. It's a whole paragraph long, but it's only one verse in the Holmans. Chapter 5, verse 1. And then we're going to move from the Passion Translation. Listen to what the bridegroom king says to the bride. I have gathered from your heart my equal, my bride. I have gathered from my garden, all my sacred spices, even my myrrh. I have tasted and enjoyed my wine within you. I've tasted with pleasure my pure milk. You have right there the spirit and strength. Milk, the wine and the milk, spirit and strength. My honeycomb, which you have yielded to me, I delight in gathering my sacred spices, all the fruits of my life. I have gathered from within you my paradise garden. And then he says, come all my friends, feast upon my bride. All you revelers of my palace, feast on her, my lovers. Drink and drink and drink again until you can't take more. Drink the wine of her love. Take all you desire, you priest. My life within her will become your feast. You see the fruit that God put in me wasn't for me, it was for you. 
And whenever somebody takes it, I'm telling you one of the most ungodly things that I've ever heard anybody stand on a stage and say is people are prostituting my gift. By God, God didn't give that to you for you. But he give it to you for other people. He give it to you so that you can pour it out. And I'm telling you now, church, that God has put you in a place right now that you're feeling pain. You're feeling pain. I know there's many of you that you're feeling pain. And it come from various places. Some of you it come from sickness. Some of you it come from trial. Some of you it come because somebody in this church is standing against you. But these things must be so that those that are approved may be known. And there is no other way that these things, that you're going to know who is approved except for by that. And God didn't put within you something so you could keep it. God didn't put within you something so you could hold it. But God put it within you so you could feed them, baby. That's what he wanted you to do. And if you are a leader, if you are his saint, if you are filled with the Holy Ghost, people are going to pull on you. They ain't doing nothing they don't supposed to do. And my God, I'm glad that the Bible says that he leads me beside the still water, that he restores my soul, that he prepares a table for me in the place, in the presence of my enemies. I'm glad that he restores me. I'm glad that he refills me. But he refilled me to get up and do it again, to pour it out again. And I want to tell you why that all this is. It is the birthing place of a miracle. You see, when pain comes in your life, it don't matter how it comes. It doesn't matter if it came because of church hurt. It doesn't matter if it came because your brothers was putting ministry off on you. It doesn't matter if it came because of financial difficulty. It doesn't matter why the origin of how the pain got there, but that pain can produce one of two things. It's going to cause you to act in some kind of way. You see, I'm telling you right now that if I'm carrying a cup of coffee, and I come across Stephanie and she bumps into me and the coffee spilled. Why did the coffee spill? It didn't spill because she bumped me, Hoss. It spilled because coffee's what was in the cup. Come on, do you hear me? And when something bumps into you, what's in you is going to come out. It ain't what bumped into you's fault. But if you got Jesus in you and somebody bumps into you, Jesus comes out. Do you hear what I'm telling you? So let them bump. It ain't their fault. If something come out of you that shouldn't, I've heard this so many times. Well, they pushed me until that happened. Well, by God, somebody needed to squeeze that out. Don't let it come back. But God has positioned you in a place where you got something special. And I'm telling you that anytime you got something special, it'll be tried. It's going to be tried. And it's going to be tried in every one of you, in every level that you're in. And the higher you are in position in this church, the greater that it's going to be. And you're going to have to decide today what is your prize. Because if your prize is peace, go ahead and quit. But if your prize is the presence of Jesus Christ... If your prize is God and God alone, if your prize is Jesus and the presence of Jesus, then baby, don't quit. Don't worry about what's happening 
around you because he is going to make sure that the garden in your heart is tended. I want to read a scripture to you. I want to read you a story that I decided to save for last. Man, I had five pages of notes. We'll save them for next time. I really will. Y'all thought I was joking. <laughs> no, no. Exodus, Exodus chapter 15. We're going to go back to the, oh, I can't get there from here. You know why I can't get there from here? Because there is no passion in, the, in that. I got to change versions. Exodus chapter 15. That's right over close to front. Exodus chapter 15. I want to tell you what happened before we start reading. What had happened was they come through the Red Sea. And when they come through the Red Sea, they sang a song. Man, they sang a song, and you can read it all through the first of chapter 15. They just come through the sea. Now, I want you to think about this. They just saw something incredible. Now, you're standing on the other side of the Red Sea, and they're like, what are we going to do? The enemy's coming behind us. There's a sea in front of us, and there was nowhere to go, and there was no way out. That right there is the place of the squeeze where miracles happen. And, and in that spot right there, they called on the Lord. What are we going to do? And as they called on the Lord, you see the Red Sea parted. It parted away. There's many times that God won't move something out of your life, but he'll make a way through it for you. And that's something that you got to understand. And whenever they made that way through for them, and they come, they come out on the other side, and they see the enemy. In the, in the water and the enemy is consumed and then they sung this song about the greatness of God. They sung this song about how good God was. They sung this song as, as they journeyed and they said the women they even followed Miriam. They got some tambourines boy and they were having a good time because they just saw something ain't nobody ever saw before. And three days later I want to ask you something before we even go any farther. Have you ever had a big breakthrough and three days later I want to tell you that every victory is going to be tried. Every victory is going to be tested. It don't mean that something's wrong. It don't mean that something's broken. It must be. It must be. Don't think that something's broken. It must be. And we pick up in verse 22. It said, Then Moses led Israel on the, from the Red Sea. And it says, They went out into the wilderness of, of, of Shur, and they journeyed three days into the wilderness without finding any water. And they came to Marah, but they couldn't drink the water at Marah because it was bitter. And that's why it was named Marah. And the scripture said that the people crumbled to Moses. What are we going to drink? What are we going to drink? And so he cried out to the Lord. And the Lord showed him a tree and he threw the tree into the water and the water became drinkable. And he made a statue and an ordinance for them at Marah and he tested them there. God tested them there and he said this. He said, if you are careful to obey the Lord your God and do what is right in his eyes, pay attention to his commandments and keep all his statues, I will not inflict any illness on you that I inflicted on the Egyptians, for I am the Lord 
who heals you. And he went on, and, and, and the scripture goes on, and it, and it tells us in the next verse. Isn't there a next verse there? Yes. And then they came to Elam, where there were 12 springs of water and 70 date palms. And they encamped there by the waters. I want to tell you something that the very first thing happened whenever the people come out of sin, whenever the people come out of the, out of the, the, the bondage of Egypt and cross through the Red Sea, which the Bible tells us is symbolic of salvation. It's symbolic of salvation. And they begin the path to the promised land that is heaven. That promised land is heaven. And they begin that path, the very first trial that came to them, the very first thing that they had to do after their initial victory is they had to learn a lesson that is so important for you today. They had to learn to turn what is bitter sweet. And I'm telling you, church, that if you can't turn what's bittersweet, you ain't going nowhere else. You ain't going nowhere until you can turn what's bittersweet. That don't mean you got to like it. That don't mean it was fair. That don't mean it's right. That don't even mean you got to agree with it. I'm telling you right now, if somebody comes up to me and they got a way of life that ain't right and they ask me, I'm going to tell them. I'm going to tell them. I'm not going to tell them, bless God, God's going to fix it. I'm going to say, you wrong, hoss. That's just how it is. But I understand something that there is bitter water going to come in my life and I have to understand how to turn that water sweet. And if I can't turn the bitter water sweet, we ain't going nowhere else. We're going to stay at this place until we learn to turn the bitter water sweet. And do you know there's many people that live their entire life, they're called what I call complainers. They complain all the time. You see the people mummered against Moses. What are we going to drink? But Moses... And the elders cried out to the Lord. And the Lord said, there's a branch. There's a tree. Throw it in the water. Say, what? And they threw it in the water. And you know what I often wonder is who was the first person that tasted it after that? I promise you it wasn't one of them people complaining. But the one with faith will drink first. But the scripture says that after that, and this, this is the, my, my main crucible of my message, this is the birthplace of a miracle. You see in our life, in the deep recesses of our heart, in, in, down inside, we all want a perfect life. We want things to be, well, I wish that I was never sick. I wish that I never had a problem. I wish that I always had the answer. I wish that I never had to go through anything hard. I wish that ice cream wasn't fattening. I mean, bless God, God's man, you know, I really do. I wish that when I worked out, it didn't hurt. But the fact is, it does. But it's the birthing place of something special. And I want to change your mindset of what's happening right now. Because you are not in a place where it looks like things are falling apart. You in the birthplace of a miracle. And I want you to understand something. The Bible says it just slips this in there, just kind of sticks it right on the bottom of the chapter. And then they went over to Elam and they had 12 springs of water. And they had 70 palm trees. But they had no word. <laughs> 
And there's a lesson right here that's hidden down in the scripture. You see, there was no revelation that came when they were in Elam. There was no word that came when they were in Elam. There was nothing that came from God. There was no provision. There was no way. There was no teaching. There was just a whole bunch of blessing. Twelve springs. Seventy palms. Man, we've been praying about a place like this. They were in the desert for three days. Where did that come from? Man, that sounds like a fantasy. It sounds like the place that I've been praying for, man. But you know where the problem comes in? It's whenever I start looking for Elam and not for Jesus. Whenever my desire inside of me is to find that place and not find him, then there's a problem. And you see, the problem that we have in the church is we are programmed to look for ease. We're programmed to look for what comes convenient. We're programmed to look for the 12 springs and the 70 palm trees. But if Jesus ain't there, baby, I don't want to go. I'd rather make the bitter water sweet, my God, and hear your revelation. I'd rather hear your proclamation, God, of what we're going to be and have to turn something that's bittersweet than to lay beside the 12 fountains and not hear a word from the Lord. But glory to God, I'm telling you, church, that there are provisions to be gained. You see, in Mara, there was examination. If you stay in the place of struggle, if you stay in the place in the church, there's going to be examination. They had examination. There was no examination in Elam. There was examination. Israel was gained by examination. They gained by examination. They gained by experience because they learned how to turn the bitter water sweet. They gained by experience. They gained having an education in the Lord. They gained by God doing something and having to turn to him and trust him for something. They gained by that. The Bible don't tell us of no revelation that came. But the thought of going to that place is so appealing. And I want to be there. But I want to be there with him. And if I can't go with him, I really just don't want to go. Because Jesus has to be the prize. And in everything that's going on in a growing church and every bit of birthing pains that you have and every bit of growth pains that you have because you're growing so fast that your knees are hurting. You might not know that, but that happens. And inside of that growth, make sure that the prize remains the same. And if the prize remains the same of he is here with us, then everything is going to be well. And I want to encourage you in something this morning. We're going to go back into the Psalm of Solomon here in just a minute. I want to read something to you. I'm going to throw him a curveball back there if I can find it. That'll be me a curveball trying to find it. I want, to, I want to share something with you that I don't know if you've ever seen this before or had this behavior in yourself. I remember when I was a young teenage boy, probably about 10 years old. I don't know if you, if you ladies know this, but there's a time 
for in, in a young man's life when he's about 10 or 11 that he noticed that you were different. And there's a lot of you that are in your 20s or 30s, there's some little 10-year-old right now that's thinking that you fell out of heaven. He can't help it. That's just the way, you know what I mean? Well, yeah, that's, that, yep, mm -hmm. that's it. That's what I'm talking about. Show him all the attention you can. It'll, it'll mold him, I'm telling you. And I remember this one particular time and as I was studying this week that, that, that the Lord brought this memory back into my mind. I remember whenever I was a little boy that, that I fell down and we had some company over there and there was this lady that I would, couldn't even look at her. She was so pretty that was friends to my mom and my dad. You know what I mean? And I was like 10, I don't know, 11, something like that. And, and I fell down and they, and, and, and they said, you okay? And I said, yeah, I'm all right. And she said, sweetie, you all right? And I'm like, well, my arm hurts a little bit, you know? And she was checking that thing out. And the more she checked it out, the more I wanted her to check it out. You know what I mean? And, and, I, and I wanted her, her attention. I wanted her to, to, to check and make sure I was okay. And it was awesome. I still remember it now. I'm 61. Who do you want to check you like that? And I want to tell you something. That whenever somebody does something against you that they shouldn't, I don't care. If somebody does something to you and you needed it, I don't care. If there was a pain that come into your life, just go ahead and suck it up while you're around them. But when you get alone with God, just say, did, did, did I do well? Did I do well? Because I'm telling you something, church. If the answer is yes, you did well, God is going to doctor that thing up for you. He's going to show you some attention. He's going to say, you are so lovely to me. He's going to say, you are my bride. You are my special one. And that's all I want to know is that I do well. That stays in my mind all the time. When somebody is confronting me, when somebody has something that they have against me, God, am I doing well? God, am I doing well? When I walk away from them, you know, the only thing I want to know is not that I please them. It's not that they get their way and that I get my way. God, did I do well? Did I do well? And if I did well, it's enough for me. I don't care if everybody thinks I lost. I don't care if it looks like I'm bleeding. Did I do well? Did I do well? What is the birthplace? There's many people who have been hurt. It might not have been from church. It might be just from life. It could be from the government. I don't know. Things is weird now. But there's a scripture that this young bride, the Lord in all his wisdom, penned for us. And it's in verse 7 of chapter 1. When the Shulamite bride is speaking of the wounds that she got from her mean brothers in ministry. And she says this. Won't you tell me, my lover of my soul, where do you feed your flock? Where do you lead beloved ones to rest in the heat of the day? Why should I be like a veiled woman as I wander among the flocks of your shepherds? And this is what the shepherd king answers. Listen, my radiant one. If you ever lose sight of me, just follow my footsteps where I lead my lovers. 
Come with your burdens and your cares. Come to the place near the sanctuary of my shepherds, my dear one. Let me tell you how I see you. I'm going to stop right there. But there is a message. There is something that is encoded in this that the whole world, all the church needs to hear. That whenever you lose sight of him, this is where you find him. He said to the bride that had this question. Where do you feed your sheep? Where do you, where do you go? If you ever lose sight of me, follow the steps to my altar, to where my shepherds are. That's your church pastors, my friends. That's the ones that God has set over you. Follow the steps to where they are. Follow the vision that God's given them. Follow to the place of restoration. I want you to stand to your feet with me this morning as we're closing. I might have preached a lot longer than y'all used to. That'll just help Kyle when he gets back. it make him look good whenever he don't go but an hour. One thing that I know, I know that there's been a bunch of you that have been in the crunch. I know that there's been things that just have been rocking in your life. Don't try to go to Elam. Don't pray to go there. But say, Father, give me a revelation of how to make this water sweet. How do I make this bitter water that's in my life sweet today? How do I make it sweet? Because in that place, whenever we get that revelation, when we get that place of understanding, that is the birthplace of a miracle. You see, miracles never happen when there's no need. Miracles don't happen whenever there's no desire to see a move of God. But miracles happen when somebody puts a demand on the Spirit. Miracles happen whenever there's a demand that is placed on the Spirit. As somebody is saying, Jesus, we want you near. And this morning, you may need a new miracle in your life. Maybe you've lost sight of where you're going. It's okay. Because the destination is the same. Follow the footsteps of Jesus. Follow the footsteps of his word. I want to invite you this morning, if there's something in your life, if, if you've had bitter water to drink, I want to invite you just to come around this altar this morning and say, Lord, show me how to make it sweet. I desire you, Lord, more than I desire ease of life I desire your presence more than anything else Father and this morning if you're in this place and there's been pain in your life it don't matter how it was caused and you would like to say Lord I want to make the bitter water sweet I want to invite you to come this morning and let God make those bitter waters sweet he'll show you exactly what to throw in them to turn it around if that's you thank you son 
Church leaders, I'm speaking this directly to you. You don't know it, but you're in the best place that you could possibly be and you've done your work well. And I know that you're being tried and you're being tested, but you're winning. You're winning. (laughs) Oh, glory to God, you're winning. And I'm telling you that you're in the place of miracles because the enemy is coming against you with everything that he's got and it ain't working and you ain't being shook. And in that place is the place that God is going to show you a miracle. You're going to see miracles birthed in it. Today, many of you, your heart has been open. Your garden has been exposed. You know it. I know it. And there's been many that's been feasting out of it. And your prayer today needs to be just replenish me, God. Did I do well? Did I do well, Father? Replenish me. Did I do well? Hallelujah. 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 Father, today we thank you. God, for your word. We thank you, Father, for the process of your word. We thank you, Father, for who you are. We thank you, Lord. My God, I pray strength, my Father, to the leadership of this church. Strength, my Father, God. Lord, let your radiance rest on them, Lord. Let your radiance be upon them, every worship leader, every pastor, everyone in position. My Father God, I pray a wall of fire around about them, my God. For they are in the place of a miracle, Father. And I pray, come Lord Jesus, be our prize. Come Lord Jesus, for you are the reward. Lord, we don't want anything less than this kind of glory to fall in this place. Anything less, my God, than your presence, Lord. Father, we are here for your pleasure, my God, all the day long. And we thank you. And we give you glory. Lord, I declare a time, my Father, of miracles. A time of miracles, Lord, that is being birthed. Even now, revelation, my God, is coming. Revelation, Father. Revelation. And I thank you, my Father, God, for that place of miracles. Thank you, Father. I thank you, Lord, that you are turning around situations, Lord, not what they are, but how they're thought about. My Father, you're turning them around right now in the name of Jesus. And the prayer of your saints is becoming, did I do well? Let us be pleasing in your sight. Lord, we thank you for your word today. And Lord, I pray, my Father God, as we leave this place, that the pursuit of Jesus would come alive within us again. That any who have lost their first love, my Father God, would regain it today. Lord, that the power of the Almighty God would restore, reclaim, rekindle. And Father, let your saints, my Father God, know your word in their heart today. Know, my Father God, that they have pleased you. Know, Lord God, that you are turning the bitter waters sweet, my God, and that miracles are coming. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. God bless you.